Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Jonathan. This is Trav. This is Paul. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of finding out that mental health just means gaming more than you did. I like this plan. I'm proud to be a part of this plan. <laughs> Whatever you say, Igor. <laughs> Egon. Egon. It's Egon, actually. All right. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier. We are this week uh, talking about geek therapy. And uh, our guest tonight is Paul Gross, who is working on his certification in geek therapy. Now, you might hello. be. Oh, go ahead, Paul. <laughs> I'm just saying hello. Oh, okay. Uh, now, you might be wondering what is geek therapy? Okay, so all I'm, I'll just read you a little a little blurb uh, that is on the Geek Therapy website, and maybe this will be a little bit of an answer, but I'm really going to rely on Paul to really talk about it since he is working on certification in this area. Geek therapy is part of the wonderful world of helping professionals integrating geek culture into their work. Think psychologists using comic books, counseling using D&D, recreational therapists using anime, or teachers using video games to teach history. The term Greek therapy was coined by, is, is it Jose uh, Cardona in 2011 and refers to a specific model of integrating geek culture into practice. And by practice, we mean mental health practices. He was inspired by the Greek culture work of a bunch of guys that only mean something to Paul, and his clinical training was uh, was in the Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy at the Albert Ellis Center in New York City to develop his model further. So, yeah. So basically, it's uh, Paul. What? Why don't you help us out here? What is this all about? A lot of times, I'll have folks come in and uh, anywhere between six to sixty, and there is some bit of pop culture that they can relate to. If I can find that bit of pop culture, it's much easier for me to uh, gain what we call rapport with them and be able to talk more and say, okay, what's going on? Um, I have one person who is really deep into anime, so I will learn, you know, either learn about that anime or if I already know it, I can talk about it with them and we can see how it can relate to their life. We use all kinds of different things. We use, like you said, role-playing games, video games, uh, fan fiction. I have one person who actually brings me fan fiction that relates to their specific problem. Ah, okay. uh, that, that would be give you a lot of insight, I would think. Fan fiction tends to be more about the writer than about the subject matter. It does. It's a lot more about the person actually writing it. They put themselves in their wor- in that world. I mean, who doesn't want to be Luke Skywalker? Well, not actually Luke Skywalker. He's kind of one. I don't. I lose a hand. I only get to kiss Carrie Fisher once. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'd rather I'd rather be uh, yeah. I'd rather be <laughs> I'd rather be Hans. You know, because I already know what it's like to raise an ungrateful child and get stabbed in the heart. Wow. <laughs> and be frozen Ooh. out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, as a shout out to my son, who is a wonderful man, and uh, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> but, I mean, seriously, who hasn't wanted to be in the Star Wars world or the Harry Potter world, uh, Full Metal Alchemist? Who hasn't wanted to be in those different areas? Or... Who hasn't wanted to be on the satellite of love with Joel or Mike or Jonah? <laughs> right. Well, I think your point is, is that there's some place that you really want to be part of. Right. If I can get to that with them, then I, it makes it a lot easier. They feel a lot more comfortable and we can actually get to the root of their problem a lot faster. 
So, but that's only one aspect. Right. So it sounds like your term geek culture is really more of a buzzword in reference to pop culture. Exactly. Pop culture is part of the whole geek culture thing. Another part of it is uh, actually running like a D&D game or whatever game we're going to play uh, for a group who has a certain same issues. Like if you've got uh, you know, four, four people who are relatively the same age within like 10 years uh, and they've all got self-esteem issues or depression issues or whatever, um, you can run a game geared toward letting each person face that fear in the game. So that's a whole other oh, okay. aspect yeah. of what the therapy yeah. is. So, for instance, if someone is, you know, pretty shy and they're facing physical abuse, then when they come into the game, maybe they suddenly become, you know, a 20-strength Mike the Fighter who can kick anyone's butt and they no longer have anything to fear. That can translate out into, in the real world, a little more self-confidence. Maybe not the ability to kick someone's butt but can transfer out to having a little more self-confidence in themselves and being able to stand up for things or tell somebody when they're being hurt. I, I could really see that latter part because I think mm -hmm. I personally believe that our biggest problem isn't that we've been hurt, but that we keep acting like we haven't been hurt. So we never get mm -hmm. the help we need. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think that's yeah. especially with uh, us tabletop gamers and yeah, it's still mostly a male dominated hobby. I mean, m most of my gamers are fe are, are women, but we men are still taught, suck it up, walk it off. Don't talk about your feelings. You know, the whole thing, don't go to the doctor unless something's falling off of you. So yeah. this approach that Paul is doing will help these, uh, especially I mean, all players, but especially us guys who were raised that way to maybe express and emote a little more about the things that have happened to us or things that are wrong with us that are inhibiting us because we don't talk about them because of that, that upbringing. So, yeah. Exactly. And playing in a game allows you to say, it's not me that experienced it. It's my character that experienced it, which can then translate out to, you know what? I did experience it, but with my character, I got able to get through it. So this is kind of like the puppet therapy where you like say, have the puppet act out what happened. <laughs> where did kind of. so that, you talk to the puppet? So where did he hurt you? And the puppet's like rubbing, <laughs> oh, rubbing okay. the yep. various parts of the body. <laughs> or pulling out a doll and saying, okay, which part did they do? You know, what, what they touched, yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, uh, I, or, I, they call it psycho psychodramas. What they actually call it. That's that's part of it, as well as uh, what they call empty chair therapy. I don't know what that is. That's where they have, uh, like, for instance, I have a four foot stuffed bear in my office that I put into a chair. When someone has someone that, for instance, I had someone who a friend of theirs committed suicide. They were not able to say goodbye. They were holding on to that anger that they wanted to say goodbye. So I put the bear in the chair and said, okay. This is your friend. Tell them what you need to tell them. And they let loose on that bear. <laughs> that bear was not the same afterwards. You need the therapy. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> that's, that's funny, but so touching. Yeah, it's yeah. haunting. Anybody, but yeah, after that, I mean, she, the person I, that I was in there, they were crying afterwards. But after an hour, they got up and said, I feel so much better than they punched the bear on the way out. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it was the damn bear's fault for dying on him. Yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. I, I don't know what the hell went what's wrong with that bear. But I know. <laughs> <laughs> Just rude. Of course, I also, that's the same bear that I want to put someone who's shorter in so that during Halloween I can have a get up and run around. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that. Yeah. Scare therapy there. Yeah, I'd say that, that, yeah, would, yeah. that would definitely add a whole nother level. Yeah, that would. That that would cause more therapy. The kid will never want to mess with a teddy bear again. Go get your teddy bear. No. Yeah. yeah. It's called job security. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those evergreen therapy plans where, you know, the person always comes back. <laughs> it's called job security. Yeah. Fucking the trauma. Right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I think you have more than enough work. <laughs> oh, I do. Oh. <laughs> I Unfortunately, uh, uh, very few people's healthcare plans actually cover this adequately. Uh, I discovered that. 
it depends how the therapist can can word it. I mean, there's places that do play therapy. There's places that do music therapy, art therapy. These really aren't covered by some insurances, but when it's used as what they call, um, uh, I can't think of the word, but the therapy itself is used, you can use a different style of therapy like psychodrama, psychotherapy, whatever. This is an add-on to that. So if you say, hey, I'm running this group for, um, for depression and some, some insurance companies pay for it, others may not. But for ones that do pay for it, you don't word it as saying, hey, we're coming together to play D&D. You know, hey, we're coming together for group support for depression to discuss it and have some therapy with it. The modality we're using includes this or includes that. So, you know, I wouldn't send to an insurance company, hey, we played D&D. Can you pay me for that? No, If that was no, the case, no. then somebody owes me for 30 years of gaming. <laughs> <laughs> 30? Slacker. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, you're oh, going okay. to have to submit your uh, treatment plans if you want to get reimbursement on that. Yeah. I would do it. <laughs> All right. So uh, walk me through this. Um uh, because you know your your idea of running D and D or some role playing tabletop role play game, it sounds like it works great. But I'm like going, okay, do they all have the same problem? Do they each have a problem? And how do you, you know, how would you set this up so that they're going to be able to do things without triggering? the other people at the table if they're all basically part of this treatment group. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of things we get to do beforehand. You probably heard of the phrase session zero. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, yeah. I want to That's tell our what audience that what that is. Yeah, session, session zero, you get together, and what I do is I send a packet out beforehand because if I send out, hey, we're going to make characters, it'd take forever. I'd never get to play, and we'd never go on. But I send a packet out with saying, what kind of character do you want to play? If they have no idea, just a small questionnaire they can fill out so I can look at it and say, oh, okay. I mean, I'm not going to run anything wild like, you know, Dragonborn, Psionicist, uh, Cleric. That's just going to be too much. But something that's small enough that they can play with if they've never played the game before. And then there's also a consent form in there. The consent form was designed by Monty Cook. Oh, it's on his okay. You can actually ah. download it from his website. And it says things that I, you know, it's got a, a green, yellow, and a red uh, section to check off what I will accept, what I might accept, what I won't accept. So, if, for, for instance, if someone has sexual abuse, you know, you're not going to run a Conan game and have all the, you know, wonderful things that happen in a Conan game. <laughs> but... Uh, I don't really know what that is, but you, it's okay if you don't mention it. <laughs> we're we're a fan, we're a family friendly podcast. Yeah, all I'm gonna yeah. say is uh, wah, 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 wah. we'll leave it at that. <laughs> and then, uh, it's called the veil. So basically, it's kind of like fading into the veil. It's there. It's known about. It's like the fade to black they do in video exactly. games. Exactly, exactly. The fade to black or the veil. Both of them are in there. And before the game even starts, it's it's you know. I figure out from the players what it is they will and won't accept, and then I kind of design the game around that. It's not your normal, hey, let's get together for a role-playing game. This is only about two hours for about eight to ten weeks for maybe four to six players. There's me, and then there's another therapist in the room or intern or whoever uh, is training to be a therapist. My job is to not only run the game, make sure everybody has some fun and learns from it. But my job is to watch them. The other therapist watches for body cues, facial expressions, or if someone has, you know, a question or something, they'll stop me if I don't happen to see them. There's also oh, okay. what, uh, what they had in, uh, I forgot what con it was. One of the cons introduced the X card where you hold the X up where you point to the X hmm. on the table and everything just stops. So like if someone has, like I said, sexual abuse and you start saying, you know, the, the harem girl, whatever, yada, yada. Er, I'm pointing at the X card, and that stops right there. Yeah, we need one of those from our family dinner table because my son is constantly <laughs> telling me that I'm eating, Dad. 
Yeah, my wife has one glued to my forehead. So. Oh, that's going to be hard for you to read. I, 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 points I, at I, I, I can imagine it now, Bruce. You start up, and Eric's just yelling, "Code of conduct!" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, but, yeah. The, the role playing. Game. He, he's a he's a very tender soul. <laughs> I'm not saying that in a derogatory fashion. I mean, he really is. He's the nicest guy. And sometimes he just, you know, he, he didn't, we did not raise him, you know, walk it off, tough it out. You know, we, we, I mean, sometimes we said, well, you got to wait till the pain goes away and then you can go back and play some more, you know, but, you know, we recognized his pain. And so he, he's, you know, we didn't give, you know, we didn't suppress his, you know, try to suppress his emotions and stuff like that. So, uh, as a, as a result, he was very outspoken. Right? <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that at all. That's actually better than having to walk it off. That's the whole military. Yeah. Mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Just drink water. Gosh. You'll be all right. I, <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, or or my, or my nephews, you know, you you you've got you've got a three uh, a six inch gash on your arm, and they say, "Oh, here's some ibuprofen and and, and some uh, butterfly cl- uh, butterfly, s- not sutures, but the little butterfly, the butterfly uh, bandages, yeah. things, that, yeah, yeah. Bandage, just bandages, yeah. That's it. That's all you get. And you just, you know, if you're really bad, you rub, off rub some rub, rub some three and one oil on it if it <laughs> if it starts bothering you. Ow. Yeah, or, or, <laughs> <laughs> or the CLR or not CLR a CLP for your gun cleaning kit <laughs> that'll kill oh no thing. no we we can go back on this and Bruce I don't know if Jonathan knows about it Bruce remember either iodine or mercurochrome oh I oh, remember so painful oh I felt the shudder from here yeah <laughs> oh. yeah it was it was worse than skinning your oh knee. yeah was getting that treatment. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, my my mom finally broke down and bought me bought the back teen, and that was <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I I skinned a lot of knees. I and my well, sister I- we we uh, we we learned that we learned how to ride our bicycles without adult supervision. So it it was it was a rough haul. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. Uh, I mentioned this before we started the live stream here with Paul that using pop culture methods to help people get through problems. Uh, The creator of the Riverworld series, Philip Jose Farmer, did another series called The World of Tears. And in what ended up being the final book in the series that I know of, Red Orc's Rage, they do something called Tearsian Therapy, where you have a bunch of people, they all read the old series. And it was a very made-up book in the series, but... It was supposedly in the real world. They're doing this tearsian therapy. You read one of the books. You adopt one of the characters as a like a persona to help you get through the problem. And as you go and develop more and more traits, you rip out more and more pages of the book. When mm-hmm. Bruce and Paul, before we started, told me of this, that was the first thing that came to mind. And I would not be surprised as this geek therapy grows and becomes more of a standard procedure in... Uh, mental health services that something like that might come into play where uh, one of your fellow therapists, Paul might decide, okay, we're going to go through this series. All of you pick a character that you bond with and we're going to do that. Something along those lines, not saying it could happen, just throwing that out there. Because as I said, as soon as I heard this, boom, that was the first thing that popped in my head. And I'm like, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of different ways to do this. I mean, that's yeah. that's actually a, a very good way to do it, and I'm sure there's someone out there who is who is using something very similar to that. Um, something about tearing out pages does sound familiar from before, but you know, any, any part of the pop culture can be used, you know, and fantasy novels, science fiction novels, all those different things um, can be very helpful in it. One thing that I've been using, I actually used it about five times just this week is Thanos snap. <laughs> I would say, do you know who Thanos is? And they're like, yeah, I know who Thanos is. I'd say, okay, you've got the infinity gauntlet. You snap your fingers. What part of your life has changed? And that helps them to get in the mindset as opposed to, it used to be called the magic wish or whatever, or the magic you know, dream. When you wake up, things have changed. How have they changed? This lets them take an action in it because I've actually seen them snap their fingers as they're thinking about it. <laughs> Oh yeah, no. It, it, if any, 
anything to help that along. And unless you've been living under a rock the past 12 years, pretty much everybody knows who Thanos is. So, yeah, it makes a lot more, um, well, worldwide. I mean, it made a billion dollars worldwide. So, I mean, it, yeah, you know, six continents, people know who Thanos is. So, yep. So, yeah, no, it just makes it a lot more accessible. Mentally. Also, yeah. the, Hulk, the Hulk, for folks who have anger management, we use the Hulk. You know, so what I say, you know, are you always angry like Bruce Banner? So you can become the Hulk, and they're like, yeah, I'm always angry. They can say, okay, well, how do we get that so you're no longer the Hulk, but you're Bruce Banner? And just using all these different pop culture, you know, icons that everyone knows about, or at least they know about, <laughs> can make it so much more relatable. And that's what the whole thing wow. about this is, is making it relatable. Where was this? Um, I was diagnosed with ASD about five years ago. So I mm-hmm. had a lot of anger issues tied to my autism. Where was this 10, 15, 20 years ago? <laughs> wow, I'm, I'm just realizing this could have really sidestepped a lot of stuff in my life. When I, when I was in therapy, I was the one teaching the therapist, Tony, about geeky stuff because I'd give backstory on things that I'd say and after a while, she said, well, I know Big Bang Theory better because of you. I'm like, thanks a lot. I'm paying $55 an hour for this. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, but that's no, one of the that, big problems that, they have. <laughs> yeah, but this still would have been just incredible for me, as I said, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So mm-hmm. I'm seeing, I am seeing a lot of aut- uh, autistic patients in this field's future because anger management issues is one of our biggest problems. Mm-hmm. You know, and I appreciate the fact that, you know, it is oriented in many ways toward the, uh, as you put it, the geek culture. Because uh, for those people who are in conventions, science fiction, fantasy, and stuff like that, it, you know, it always seemed that psychological methodologies and things uh, and such were always oriented toward the mainstream America. You know, you just can't bring a good sports analogy to somebody who does Game of Thrones. <laughs> you, just, you know, it's like they weren't speaking our language, okay? They weren't hitting us where we needed, you know, uh, to be. And um, I uh, I received uh, therapy as a teenager. Uh, it was kind of, they called it counseling. And uh, I, I would say that it was very ineffective because uh, I had no idea what we were trying to achieve. And... Uh, it was just mostly an opportunity for me to go in and, and talk to somebody about my problems, you know, all the issues I had at school, but it didn't ever seem to, I never felt like it helped me in any way. Uh, so, you know, and now that was a long time ago, and I'm not saying that they haven't learned anything about methodology and stuff since then. So hopefully, you know, uh, uh, Teenagers and young people, and and basically, I mean, I, I, everyone says that everybody needs therapy. So you know, even today, I'm sure I could benefit from something. But uh, it's I, I, it's nice to know that there's people actually thinking about ways of using the things that we care about, you know, in meaningful ways in our wellness. You know, rather than it being the thing that people that everybody else uses to say you're not right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and we've all, we all know that feeling, that feeling that because we care about these things, there's something intrinsically wrong with us. You know, that there, that normal people don't care that much about, you know, uh, you know, the, the ships with, um, you know, uh, aliens on it to fly through space and starbursts and stuff like that. You know, we don't, those aren't, no one else has those as their heroes, but we do, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, a few people, they say, oh, yeah, Luke Skywalker, he's a hero, you know, though, you know or, uh, you know, and, and because they made them so iconically heroic. But, you know, there's, uh, you know, but there's a lot of people that speak to us in science fiction cultures and fantasy and things like that, that, you know, I mean, there's a reason why everybody was so in love with Dritz, the dark, you know, the dark yep. elf, you know, in, in, in Forgotten Realms. I mean, you know, I never got it, but I know that there were people that really, really cared about this character. And someone who was able to be, understand that and reach out to people using that as a bridge, I, I can't see that as being anything but helpful. 
again, like with Dritz is a great example. Dritz was the one of the biggest outcasts, and even though he's a hero, he's still getting put down by everybody around him except for his close friends. Who doesn't feel like that in the real world? You know, only my friends get me, and even then, they're a little wary of me. But everybody else, they don't know have you know a freaking clue about me. It sounds like my D and D group. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I'm not kidding on that one. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> we're we're an eclect, we're a weird bunch, you know, to begin with, you mm-hmm. know. And I and I, I constantly tease this one player because he's in his twenties and uh, and he he does things. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, really? <laughs> and, I, and then I tease him in character, you know. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. It's, okay, I'm okay. I'm sensing masochistic issues there. Then, yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I, I it makes me feel. Uh, it makes me feel a little bit uh, like you know. Is there, you know, am I, am I, uh, you know, am I treat, am I treating him cruelly? Is my first question to myself. Okay. Secondly, is is that you know what am I getting out of this? And you know, am I actually you know am I you know. And so, yeah, it's it's hard to sometimes understand that because, again, we're we're guys, you know, we're uh, we have one female in our group, which is my wife, and everybody else is is guys, and yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot of walk it off kind of stuff going on because people go off and do stuff, and we're like, well, what can you do? Come on, let's go and continue the adventure, you know, and and bad things happen to people in the games, and 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 a lot of times we're like, hmm. You know what are we going to do about this? Are we going to do anything about this? You know, so uh, I can see how this really is a helpful tool for the person who's actually come to you for help. Okay, uh, is it? Um, uh, but other than the things you were talking about, like the axe on the table and and uh, cr- making what I've heard other people refer to as a social contract or session zero. Uh, so you stay away from other people's, you know, uh, forbidden air, forbidden zones. Uh, is uh, is there any literature that the your area is is trying to promote, saying, hey, you know, if you really care about, you know, helping your fellow players and helping everybody just get through their lives, here's some guidelines, you know, that you should you might want to listen to, or or uh, th- these are ways that you could evaluate your own play style to see whether or not you're you're harming more than you're helping or just you know or you know or you know you, you think you're not a dick but you really are <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'll raise my hand on that because I find myself doing that sometimes my wife will say did you really have to say that to him and I said what say what <laughs> and and she sells me and I'm like oh I was just kidding and then she looks at me and I'm like Oh, he took it seriously. Or why did I say that? Oh, she gives you the wife look when you don't realize what you've done. Oh, no, I've been there. I've been there twice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wish she was across the table because then she could give it to me when I'm doing it. She actually sits next to me, so I rarely see her. Uh, Because I'm looking at the person I'm talking to, and I'm not, you know, so unless she kicks me under the table or something, you know. (laughs) <laughs> or does the classic anyway over here <laughs> shiny 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 distraction shiny yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so uh but it, no seriously is is there uh, a website is there uh some resources that the rest of us either a can uh look to see whether we need this kind of therapy or b can uh you know can see some things that might help us help our other gamers well, as far as, you know, here, here you go, use this. Um, I don't know of anything right off the bat, but I do know, like there's a, the webpage that I'm going through for my certification, it's, uh, if I can give a little shout out here to them, it's uh, geektherapytraining.com. It's by Leyline, L-E-Y-L-I-N-E. And they're great people. They're, they have a bunch of classes you can look at on how to do it. It's not just for therapists either. Uh, they have oh good that's what I was yeah hoping. they have how to use the fan fiction the anime video games uh, Dungeons and Dragons all that good stuff how to use that for you know applying it to games as well as applying it to other spaces there's uh, one of the two one of the teachers on there does a lot with the LGBT community which is one of the communities that I work with a lot 
and they just, you know, they, they don't micro it, but at the same time, they say, hey, here's what we have to offer you, and you can learn some about that. And there's a couple other, couple other ones, too. Games to Grow is uh, another website that does a lot of the training similar to this. I don't know if they offer a certification, but they offer a lot of helpful things. They put out a book on um, uh, drive-through RPG. Ah, yes, I use that site all the time. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Wellness and Wizards. Well, what's it called? Yeah, Wellness and Wizards. Wellness and Wizards. Okay, right. Because we don't. What we don't want to do here, Paul, is we don't want to send our, our our audience off to the psychological equivalent of uh, WebMD. Okay, where you get to research diseases and 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 think that you have them. Oh, no, yeah. When you, no, when you when you go to like, uh, I'm on the the Geek Therapy Training site now. When you go to their classes that they offer, I mean, they're just you know they have live trainings as well as they have home study trainings. Basically, it's just you know here's an hour of listening to a video and things like that. They have um, ones that some people would not be interested in, like how to build your practice. If you don't have a practice, it's going to be useless to you. Yeah. But working with video gamers, you know, it says uh, like the one that says here, video games have emerged as the number one pastime activity among children and adolescents for the past decade. There's much talk about what to do with overuse or when, or what defines overuse of gaming. And that training can help right there. Parents can look at this and say, oh, okay, it gives me a little better idea how to do this. And people themselves can look at it and say, oh, so maybe I should uh, back off a little bit about that. But they don't give you the, you know, it's not like a WebMD where it says, you have this problem, do this. <laughs> None <laughs> of it's like that. They just give you a lot of different um, ways to apply pop culture to to your life and how it can help you they have an anime therapy that talks about hope belongingness resilience and success or when you make a character character creation for insight and self-acceptance you know how much of you do you put into your character how much of your character isn't you and then how much of your character isn't you but really is because you don't know it is until afterwards so you know, it's yeah, it's yeah. There's a whole bunch of good courses on there. Okay, that sounds a little black magic-y there, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> it's the journey of self-discovery. I'm having an adventure. So, <laughs> But, yeah, whenever you put, you know, whenever someone makes a character, whether it's on a video game or um, a role-playing game or chooses a character, like even in Monopoly, you know, on the dog, on the car, on the shoe, you know, why do we choose these different symbols for ourselves? Ah, you know. okay. Oh, okay. okay. I thought for a second we were making a Q continuum reference. I wasn't doing that, but, <laughs> but yeah. no, whenever you make a character. The, those of our audience who haven't watched uh, Next Gen Star Trek, at one point, uh, everybody goes uh, and meets all these omniscient beings that are part of the Q continuum, and they all and they make it appear that they all are living in a small Mayberry-like, that might also be a, a distant, a, a small town uh it, rural town, and at one point, it, which they, the, the one of the characters says, "Yeah, haven't we all been the dog? Haven't we all been the mailbox?" <laughs> you know, talking about how they've done everything, and and uh, because the whole premise of that particular storyline is someone's saying the un un. Uh, acceptable idea that maybe they've done everything there is to do and they've grown as much as they can grow and maybe it's time to die. Maybe it's time to move on to something else, whatever the the, the, the universe has to offer. And when you've lived for literally millions and mi- eons and eons, let's say, you know, of years, the idea of, of just voluntarily ending something is uh, a matter of fact, voluntarily ending something you've been doing for a very, very long time is something that both uh, Trav and I can could greatly relate to, uh, being that we both were uh, have been employed by companies for a very long time. I, I recently uh, had my job terminated after over thirty years, and Trav is still employed. But I'm just saying, is that you know you think about. Is there something else I should be doing with my life? You know, and, um, uh, these are questions that come up in our minds, right, Trap? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and especially since Bruce and I are, well, middle-aged and more, we'll put it that way. 
that we get so used to doing. I'm middle-aged, man. (laughs) Bruce is a wee bit older than I am. We'll put it that way. Um, Mentally, I'm much younger. So (laughs) let's move on. (laughs) We're going to pick nets now, really? Yeah. Um, But as we're doing this for so long and either an abrupt change like, you know, an abrupt change to my routine or just the end of the routine, like with Bruce. Yeah, we do realize, okay, what else can we do? And I'm looking at the site now and I'm, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm stroking the beard going, hmm, you know, just, and, I, and I'm seeing just what can be, this is a thing. I mean, just, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, even just a simple act of building a character. A lot of times doing it with, you know, in a therapeutic manner, if you have the time to actually sit down and make a character with somebody or personalize it, someone will put some of themselves into it without even realizing it. Oh, no, I, I, my job. I, oh, no, I, I get that entirely. My one gamer, Carrie, uh, in my Thursday night game, she's playing sort of a Batman Green Arrow mix vigilante. Mm-hmm. And the character is an art historian, and Carrie does stained glass as her hobby. So she's had to learn about, like, Renaissance and medieval glass-making methods. And the character is an art historian in their time when they're not out there, you know, firing arrows at criminals. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I know that this is something Carrie has put a lot of herself into this character, Raven, because... I know Carrie's had to do her research. She told me that there are glass makers that their methods of making the glass and the coloring to it were proprietary and the secrets died with them. They didn't share anything. So she really put herself into this character because I've known Carrie now for like 10 years and I know how deeply she is into art history, especially in the realm of stained glass making. So when you said that, that first person popped in my head was her. And I know other characters do other things. I have another, um, the aforementioned Josie's mother, Colleen, bachelor's in history. So right now in my Bureau 13 game, she's playing a substitute history teacher with psychometry. You know, pick up the object and get, you know, the psychic impressions. So I'm no, I'm, and I've known many of my characters 10 years plus, or players 10 years plus. So I'm already seeing okay, yeah, that's facet. Yeah, it's like Jeff playing the Star Trek character. That's a gimme. You know, yeah, yeah. Just, But that that's probably one of the things I've noticed in my decades of tabletop gaming is that each character is like your kid because you're raising it and you have part of yourself in that character. So... Yeah, I'd, I'd say it, it goes it, even a little more deep than just having a kid. It's more like that's the extension of you as opposed to where a kid can be separate. You know, the kid's going to go away. Your character's not going to go away. I don't say die horribly, but yeah, they're <laughs> not going to be going away anywhere anytime soon. At least you hope not. Your kids, you want them to go. But yeah, your, your character, you want to keep with you. And Well, you know, no, no, no. no. I love you, Shelly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you do that with a child also is that, I mean, as – as the child grows, you see it develop and change and go down these different, you know, you see many things that you want for your kids. All of us parents do. And then you're watching as that child develops and grows and becomes an adult. My daughter's 26 and a half years old now, and I'm just amazed at the path she took. I mean, there are a lot of things that I imagine she could have done, but just, I was seeing it's like, Oh, she's going to do this. And we see that with characters and you, you, the, what's that term? The best laid plans of mice and men. Yeah. Where you think, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm going to do this with the character. And all of a sudden the character, it, it, the path takes, and it can be either just because the player decides something different or the GM throws something in the campaign where, okay, I'm going to have to adapt and become this. And I, I, and I've thrown curveballs at characters where they've had character development and all of a sudden, okay, I got to go this way now because the campaign's gone this way. And I've seen characters grow over the course of like two, three years of a campaign going. And you're proud of the character development that you helped as a game master. You know, let's say I got six people around my table 
And I've watched all these characters grow from first level and they're, you know, getting up their 16th, 17th, 18th level. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm doing the whole, I remember you were first level. I'm so proud. You know, that type of thing. You know, <laughs> I'm not crying. You are. Yeah. Yeah, right. I remember when you were afraid of goblins. Yeah. You only and had four hit points. Up. I'm so proud. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, you're, you're looking at, you know, the male barbarian, you know, like Dr. Evil. He's my special point. You know, just that type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so, uh, yes. All right. Okay. Uh, all right, Paul. Well, if um, – uh, but, hey, do you want to respond to that? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, good, good. Okay, I just I, – I mean, Travel's talking a lot, and I don't want to step on a response that you want to make oh, to no, that. Well, that's, that's uh, awesome. Okay. Well, no, that's the whole thing. It's like, left the guest speechless. Yes! No, no, no. Ken, Ken, joking, joking. <laughs> oh, I can, I can talk. But, no, um, you know, as far as, you know, the development of the, of the characters – the reason that we do role-playing therapeutically so different than like a regular role-playing session is just that. You do want to see the growth. When the, character, when the player can see the growth of the character, they make it to see the growth in themselves. They actually, whether consciously or unconsciously, will notice the growth and say, oh, well, this is, this is me now. You know, there's, there's one game where the characters, the players were, uh, were all, they had like low self-esteem issues and some depression. And like you had said, you have you someone who knows, who knows history. You've got someone who knows glass blowing. They bring it into the game. That allows them to have that spotlight, even for just, you know, 10 minutes in a game. And they get to feel really good about themselves. And afterwards in the debrief, you say, hey, you were really good with that. Awesome with that knowledge. Thank you. You know, where in a regular game, it's like, oh, thanks for telling us about that. We didn't really need to know that, but thank you. Um, in, in, a, in a therapeutic game, we would encourage that kind of thing, depending on what the issue was. You know, if it's anger management and they were able to, you know, their barbarian character didn't smash them in the face with a club. Instead, they took time to say, okay, I'm going to talk with you about this, and then I'm going to smash you in the face with a club when we're in the back room. <laughs> you know, they've learned to grow past their anger. If their character can do it, then they can do it. That's why, you know, the whole extension of yourself you're seeing your character change. You're affecting that change with your character. You can affect it within yourself as well. Okay. I can, yeah, I can, because I, I can definitely uh, attest personally to the, the value of, like, just role-playing as a ther therapy option because when I was early teens, I was still, like, morbidly afraid of the dark. I could not sleep alone in my room in the dark. And this was going on up until like age 13, 14, and 15. Uh, and I was actually um, discovering game, uh, games like Bureau 13, which is one of the games we talk about on this podcast a lot, uh, and playing a game of modern supernatural hunting and hunting the things in the dark. That oh, It was only a matter, I'd say, of maybe two years I started getting over that fear. Uh, not being afraid of sleeping in the dark because I started, I guess, mentally having this checklist of, well, if it's a demon that comes out of the dark, I'll fight it with this. And if it's a ghost, I'll fight it with this. Even though logically I knew none of these things existed, the fear was still there. And then playing these role-playing games where I got to fight these things in a, you know, imaginary setting still seem to have bolstered my fear in the real world. I mean, my, my courage in the real world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's... I, I can credit Bureau 13 also for taking away my fear of haunted houses. Thank you. I no longer have any fear ah. of them. <laughs> I, I go in there, it's like, boo! I'm like, oh, good makeup. Next, <laughs> keep it going. Like, yeah, I, I, I have experienced that as well. <laughs> I could have just taken you down about five different ways, unarmed. So, yeah. I got a paperclip. Six. So. <laughs> <laughs> I remember going to the first haunted house I went to with my son. And, you know, I I go in there and there were some things that were really, really creepy going on in that house. And the whole time I'm looking at my son going, oh, this is so funny. Look at him. He's all weird. <laughs> Stuff like that. Inside I'm going, I'm glad I'm not here by myself. <laughs> Never split the party. 
Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, my gosh, it's it's like it, it, we say it as a mantra, and we and then we turn around and do it. <laughs> it always happens. We actually have a player who's lost like a bunch of characters because every every game there's an opportunity to him to go off on his own, and he always takes it. Oh. And and he all it always ends up so badly for him. <laughs> so, most recently, he came into an enormous stash of magic items and stuff. Goes off, gets there. <laughs> oh, no. oh, we're talking, you know, hundreds of thousands of gold pieces worth of magic items. Where we think that fifty thousand gold pieces is a lot of gold pieces. So you know, it's it's and he's back. He has literally no magic, and uh, uh, and we're like going, well, should we give him something, <laughs> or should we just, you know, this is to say, do we make him walk it off, or do we gift him with? You know, with items and stuff, and say, "Well, you know, it happens." Here's the ring of obscene you know. noises. We're still, we're still. Oh, okay, yeah, not those kinds. <laughs> uh, no, we're talking about real magic items, things that would be helpful to his class. Yeah. He's a, he's a rogue, so like you know, anything that helps him like be quiet or backstab or something like that. But he did lose a lot of uh, items that could not be replaced. So, so you know, as a player, you know. Uh, and also as a GM, I'm always struggling with, uh, you know, how do I turn this into a positive experience for the other players at the table? Because as much as I like to tease the other players, I really want them to have a good time, whether I'm the GM or a player. So a lot of times it's really difficult to try. You know, I mean, I, I'm afraid that, okay, if I make it too easy for you, then you're not going to, you know... You, you're not going to appreciate the, the the drama, you know. You're you're just going to take you're, you're going to use me and take me for granted, you know. In which case, I I just injured myself. Okay, uh, you know. Do you even care? You know, are are you invest are you even invested in these characters? So I I have a lot of struggles with my relationship in game with these people, you know, and and my role as another player with them. So that's one of the reasons why I would be interested in people like you know. How, how you use gaming and stuff like that. Um, but um, uh, but as a therapist, um, uh, and I'm really glad that you mentioned the fact that you have another therapist in the room or someone else because I don't know about you, but when I'm GMing, I get, to, I get way into it. I am super focused on what I'm doing, and I'm totally – if someone else is like having all the blood drain out of their face and, 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 and having their eyes roll back in their heads and convulsing because I just triggered them, I would totally miss that. <laughs> Because I'm playing, I'm playing this NBC over here, and we're doing this. We're doing this scene, and I, I really need people to, to to yank me back sometimes. And I know that I've let other players hurt other players because I wasn't paying enough attention. Ooh. Yeah, they always for group therapy, which always recommended to have at least two therapists for even regular group therapy, where you're sitting all around in chairs saying, "I never got a pony. I don't feel so good about life." And, you know, having that other therapist there in case you, you know, if, if one therapist is focusing on the person who's talking, other ones concentrating on everybody else. So that's what their, their job is very important. They're not just there to watch a game and say, that was pretty funny. You made a good voice with that guy. Their job is to actually, I have, I actually have two other therapists that are on call to be with me to do these games. So I can say, hey, can you come to this game? And if one says no, the other one can. So it's, I mean... Setting up a game for therapy is a lot different than setting it up for, like I said, for just a regular, you know, hey, it's Friday night, let's go play till 4 o'clock in the morning. You know, I have to have a specific agenda, and it's only like one small thing that you're going to start off with, but all those little small things are going to build up for the whole, the whole 8 to 10 weeks. And each person will get to have a spotlight time, each person will get to have their learning time, and... There's a lot that goes on outside of the game, too. I mean, after the game, you have a debrief session with everybody. It lasts about 15 minutes. And then when you have your one-to-one -one session, you know, you got an hour, hour's time. If that takes a whole hour, great. But if it only takes 10, 15 minutes to say, how did you feel about the last game? What did you get from it? And you learn from them what they're getting from it. And it's kind of also a cheating thing because you use that to help start the next game. 
Hmm. So it's it's a, it's okay. a whole lot to just, I mean, I know when I run a regular game, it's like I have my storyline. Y'all are going to go through it. Anything you do different, <laughs> we'll go with there. This is more like I have to cater it to what they're doing. And then if I have to do any changes, do it while they're, you know, while my players are, are engaged with things or outside the game change things. They even have, besides the X button, they also have the rewind where, you know, if an action happened and it, it triggers something, we rewind it. Like someone who's got, well, I, I hate to keep going on physical abuse, just the easiest one to use. But someone with, who's got physical abuse outside the game and they just take a whomping. You know, somehow in the game it got, well, they get, you know, they get their butt kicked. Let's rewind that to where instead you either don't go down that alley because you learned it's not a good thing to do. Or so you're with friends and they don't attack you or whatever happens. But, you know, it's, it makes for a very different story than you would in a regular game. Right, because the, the focus isn't so much on just going through a narrative, but actually helping work through issues. Right. It's, I mean, I want them to have fun, too, like you guys said. They're, mm-hmm. there, they're there at a game to have fun. And I don't want them to just sit there and say, okay, we're going to have two hours of, of therapy with dice. <laughs> this is going to be amazing. As opposed to, hey, I want to play. And they know that they're going to be learning something. They know it's therapeutic D&D, not just regular D&D. But from that therapeutic D&D, people have gone off and gone their own groups and then begin, you know, playing regular D&D with things. So not only does it help them with their therapy, it helps the hobby as well. Well, you mentioned using anime. And, you know, to me, I, as, I tr- as I try to explain to people in my own family, anime covers a really big, wide area. So when you're trying to use anime, how do you determine what anime is the anime you should be using as your reference? They'll tell me. So you literally say, what's your favorite anime? Or do you say, what anime do you hate? Well, I'll, through talking with them, I mean, I, I wish I could give you an easy answer to say, yeah, this is what I say. But uh, whenever I'm talking with a client, you know, if I can see if they'll use, if they want to use anime, or if they want to use whatever, if I determine that anime is the, the thing for them, and usually it's the, you know, a, a lot of times it's the about 12 to 25 age range that does it with the most of the anime. That's, that's the main range. There's outliers, of course. But um, with that range, it's either Harry Potter, Star Wars, or anime. Or Animal Crossing. But it's a whole other story. With uh, <laughs> anime, I'll, I'll say, oh, yeah, well, what would you think about The Last Airbender? And I'll go, ugh, that movie sucked. I had a whole 15-minute discussion on how bad the movie was compared to the cartoon. (laughs) (laughs) But not only did that let me get in better with the client, they could identify with me a little more because it's like, oh, he does the same things that I do, or he knows about the things that I know about. So if someone brings up something that I know nothing about, you can bet that I'm going to write that down and I'll do a little bit of research for it before my next session with them. Oh, yeah, because very so, few people know all Fatwell, see, Colleen, Queen, uh, you know, claims to be the Queen of Phantoms. But I'm sure that you have to do a lot of research because let's say there's somebody who was a fan of, let me try to find an obscure Phantom here, Lex, the sci-fi show that was on mm-hmm. years ago. Let's say yep, you and then you, you got to sit there then and research on YouTube and go Wikipedia and find out what the show is about. Oh no, I as soon as this came out I'm like these guys have to do a lot of research cuz somebody will pull a fandom out of somewhere out of a show that ain't been around for 20 years. You're going to get some 60-year-old guy coming in going, "Yeah, yeah, I like the time tone." You're like, "Oh god, I got to research <laughs> Irwin Allen shows." Okay. All right, here we go. Oh, TV land. Yeah. <laughs> I'm lucky that I've been a geek my entire life, so I can I know the time tunnel, uh, Land of the Giants. Um, oh yeah, all yeah, that yeah. Stuff uh, but from way yeah, back, <laughs> and and it's good if you're getting into this. You already have a strong geek core, as it is, where mm-hmm. the less research you have to do, the better, because you can sit there and right off the bat and go, oh, this, this, and this. And mm-hmm. as I said, I was in therapy for three years, and the one thing 
that you need to establish on the get-go is rapport with your patient. And the quicker you find it, you can just see that because nobody likes, I'm, I'm not bad-mouthing therapists at all, but let's face it, therapy has gotten such a bad stigma and somewhat of a comedic stigma because, you, oh, you're all in group therapy and all the self-help books that came out. So it's, it, the, the, the field has taken some crap over the past maybe 10, 15 years. But that oh, look, yeah, it has. That, that look that you get, and it works with anybody who looks for rapport, but I'm sure with therapists, and you see that smile, and you notice the body language of that patient loosening up because they realize somebody's understood me. They know what I'm talking about. Thank you. You know, they get that look on their face, and I know that's a win for you. That's like, mission accomplished. Okay, now we can get this party started. When they first come in my office, they sit on the edge. I actually have a couch. They sit on the edge of my couch, and they're kind of like sometimes have their arms bundled up, and they're all locked up. But when I get that, like you said, that little chip, by the end of the session, they're sitting back in the couch, they're relaxed, and they're able to talk more freely. That's exactly what I want. Yep. I have, if you go to my office right now, I have about nine different figures of Yoda scattered throughout my office. <laughs> Everyone knows Yoda. If you don't know oh, Yoda, yeah. I'll teach you. But yeah, yeah. I have Yoda all over my office, and within the first half hour, someone will have said something in Yoda's voice. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a great icebreaker too. You know, everyone says, why do you got so much Yoda? Other therapists will say that to me. Why do you have all these Yoda figures? And I'm like, rapport you will build. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so whenever I have a client sit back and they're looking, because I have, have them all behind me on a shelf and I can see when they're looking at them and I can see that little click when they suddenly can go, Depressed I am, yes. <laughs> How can you be depressed talking like Yoda? So, yeah, having those little things like that, you know, I, I walk into other people's offices and it's all sterile. Black yeah. and white, maybe a sand tray. Nothing fun. You got to have their shingle, things in yeah. there, right? Their shingle up on the wall, some books on shelves, some knickknacks on a desk. That's about it, Yeah. Yeah, I have, a, I have one of those phrenology heads that sits right behind me, too. And I say, you know, I'll walk in and I'll say, hey, Tesla. I call him Tesla. And they'll say, who's Tesla? And I'll say, him. And they'll say, hi, Tesla. Just because they don't oh, want to okay. think I'm weird. So, but, yeah, <laughs> phrenology skull is behind me. And I don't use it just to have it there to be sitting there. Everything in my office I use. I've got a purple unicorn that sits on the edge of the couch behind the client. And it's strategically put there because when they sit back on that end of the couch, the arm is hanging down. So they've got to like, what, what is that? I'll say, so you're welcome to take him down if you want to. One time has someone taken him down. Usually oh. they'll kind of move the arm over, say, excuse me or whatever. They'll interact with the unicorn. This dumb looking purple unicorn will interact with it. And that helps me to determine a little bit more. Are they fantasy-based, or is this just annoying to them? Are they able to have a little bit of geek stuff going on? And, you know, all these different things that I have in my office, plus just talking to them. You know, the anime ones, I actually had, like you said, a 60-year-old guy come in there and say, oh, yeah, I remember a TV show I used to watch called Robotech. I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Ooh, I know yeah. that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Southern Cross, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, that helps me to build that instant instant reports kind of like if you're military and you walk into someone else and says yeah i was you know i was in the army for five really i was in the army for five years too that's instant bonding oh yeah in the in the psychological world we call that uh, phenomenological intimacy <laughs> okay oh wow so, but yeah because you're sharing it you're sharing a phenomenon that others wouldn't know if you weren't in the military you wouldn't know you know what some of the things that military folks might mention you'd have no clue. It's like, I, I, I don't know. What are they talking about? And, you know, if you're talking about Robotech and things like that with somebody, someone else is like, I have no clue what you're talking about. We'll get to Harry Potter in a minute, buddy. Relax. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, as soon as you brought up Robotech, I could, I could sense Bruce just going, 
Oh Christ! Don't get trash start. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually watched the entire first season, a series, and part of the second one, and uh, the animated version. And um, I, I can see the appeal, but at the same time, uh, I did not go down that rabbit hole the way Trav did. Oh no! I've done episodes, you know, like adding Fringeworthy to Robotech. You know, it was like a, a two and a half hour recording. Oh no, he know. You know, I've got the entire DVD box set. You know, I'm it, all the games for Palladium. Yeah. So yeah, yep, I just got felt those. Bruce just going. Oh no! Yeah. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts, is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license, no commercial reproduction, and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.